0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and this is season five of The Thriller Zone. And on today's show, Rachel Howzell hall and the book is What Never Happened. This is one of those books that you pick up and you're like, I'm going to just pace myself and, you know, read a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you're digging deep. So without any further ado, let's meet Rachel right here on The Thriller Zone. Let's just jump out of the gate with a great big welcome to The Thriller Zone.
1: Thank you. I'm proud to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm a lot of,
0: oh, see, I see what you did there. <laughs> I, um, every once in a while, somebody will be scheduled and I'll start talking about who's coming and they're like, oh, I can't wait. I don't know they actually do this gesture because it looks pretty stupid, but.
1: <laughs> they- <laughs> I, I say that's pretty common for <laughs> this.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're very excited and I'm like. Me too. I mean, when I saw Don Winslow pop in this morning and go, oh, look, who's going to be on the show.
1: I know. I love him. He's whenever he like sees anything I do, I get all like, like, like that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a solid dude. Yeah, he's he's perfect in that but it today
1: supportive. So,
0: you know, isn't that great that's another thing we talk about on the show how many people in this business are so supportive of one another. I love that.
1: Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. This uh, yeah, more than any genre, I think, we support each other a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can I just do a little first of all, we're going to be talking about this beautiful book what never happened. Um, I ripped through this thing. I was doing some research on you, and uh, I was looking looking for the best picture I could get to do some ads, right? So you sent me a really nice high resolution photograph. I'm, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. It's it's very it's 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 uh it's strong, it's powerful, it's yeah, I'm in control, right? But my right. favorite to date, and I'm gonna pull it up, here, is when you're in the car looking on your website, oh, looking yeah. over your shoulder. I don't know what it is about that photograph. Every time I look at it, I'm like, what is she looking at?
1: <laughs> that is that is like an iconic photo i love that photo and the guy who did the second um the one that you have that uh-huh. you used he did that first one too i used to write in my car all right. the time and so it was best to capture me in the place where i tended to write and that was the car <laughs> yeah
0: Well, I noticed, and if you look closely, folks, when you go to the website, there are notes and there's scribbles and highlights. And and I'm like, does she write in the car? So, yeah, you just answered that question. Oh, yeah.
1: Especially being a working parent and a day jobber, I would use my lunchtime to go down to the car and write. And then if I'm taking my daughter to soccer or basketball or the thousands of things that a kid does, I'm in the car writing. So, yeah, it was like it was it was my mobile office.
0: I love that. I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who sits in the car and rides, but it's it's a perfect environment, isn't it?
1: And it's so LA, right? We live in our cars anyway. So my right. might as well like right there. It's quiet. It's self-contained. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very nice controlled environment.
0: I was reading recently and we'll put a button on this one. I was reading recently talking about, uh, we were talking, this person, it was a podcast talking about the future of our world and how uh self-driving cars are going to be the next big thing and that they'll they'll merge like perhaps an uber situation with self-driving cars so i'm sitting there thinking about you i'm like oh you can just dial up have a car show up you get in and it drives you around town you don't have to worry about it you get
1: although part of the process for me is the driving is the actual doing because it's it's weird when when the pandemic came and I stopped going into my day job. Um, when I was writing a, a book, when I, I think it was toxic things, I had a very hard time just starting, just starting to write. And I realized that my commute had sit, has, um, it served as that warm up the, the, the mind roaming free. And so the moment I stepped back, got back in a car, like to take my car to service or whatever thoughts just came pouring in because it's so connected to my process driving.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense when I do long road trips mm-hmm. because my brain is concentrated on one thing. I, I guess you're right. Yeah. It just takes yeah. this, this, the creative part of your brain and it just, Runs with reckless abandon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's always, you know, in a place where where you can't really write well when the muse hits. But then, you know, I have post-its and a notepad and all that to like kind of write something. Yeah.
0: Do you have ever have conversations with the muse, like, get over here, we gotta talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, sometimes when I don't have a project going on and I still wake up at 4 30 and it's like, well. Can I just sleep in? And she's like, "No, get up. There's something to do." And you know, I don't want to lose that that muscle. So yeah, yeah, in the news, she 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 wants me to keep working to keep writing.
0: So you're a four thirty person, yes.
1: Thirty person, yeah. I write for until like six thirty, and then I do the business of writing for the next thirty minutes. I work out for half hour when I decide to do that, and then I go to go to work. So. That usually means just changing my pins, the pins that I use. That's since I'm working at home, that's really the only thing that kind of differentiates day job from novel writing. This is a set of pins that I use. So I don't use my work pins to write novels and vice versa.
0: That's interesting. So uh, you're not, you're not a keyboard writer.
1: Not initially, no. Okay. All my All my drafts are longhand and my husband got me some great tech to help me with that. I got the remarkable device, which, you know, it's this electronic tablet and you write and it feels like paper, but then it converts your handwriting into digital. So it cuts my process of having to type everything in from my legal pads in half. I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: Okay, uh, I have to drill down one little s- extra inch because there's so much technology shared on the show mm-hmm. and I I've seen an advertisement for this but I haven't seen it in person and I I thought it was just oh it's another way to no. but, So however you're writing it records it and what if you want to erase a word does
1: Yeah, it has a little digital eraser on the back of it. So it feels like a pen. Oh. And It's it's really it's really incredible, and the word recognition it's it's impressive. Yeah, I I love that thing.
0: Rachel, maybe for your handwriting, but not for mine. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh! And after about uh, two two three hours, it's it starts out so handsome, and Uh then it becomes (laughs) this like this looks like a doctor's uh, signature.
1: No, yeah, I was one of those kids who learned calligraphy. And so everybody in church, when there was a special event, they came to me to do the calligraphy and my junior high school graduation program. I did it because of my penmanship. So, yeah, I was that I was that kid.
0: You were that kid. All right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there is a gentleman on the scene that I respect, Lee Goldberg, and he put a blurb on this. Yeah, Rachel Hall has crafted her own genre of slow-boiling, powerfully emotional thrillers. Talking about wanting to hit every single cylinder uh, possible. (laughs) And this is that book. Now... Clarify one thing for me uh-huh. because on the front here it says yeah. July eleventh and I have a note that says it's available August first.
1: yeah, the the dates changed, so it is available widely uh, August first. okay, got gotcha. you. yeah.
0: this book is uh, I, I'd love to do this, and I've just started doing this recently so that I don't give away anything and I, mm-hmm. I kind of cut to the chase because i I like to I'd love to hear your elevator pitch blurb, like what is this book? And then I'll give you kind of my elevator pitch review and we'll kind of go from there. Is that good?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, my main character, Coco Colette, she returns to, uh, Catalina Island where her family purchased a home. And right before they moved in, uh, there was an invasion, uh, uh, instance and her family was murdered. And so she, returns, works as an obituary writer for the island's only paper and someone's killing old people. And uh, she's writing the obituaries, but also trying to figure out, are they connected? And then are they connected to her family's murder 20 years before?
0: All right, here you go. Here's my pitch. Uh, With characters as engaging as your best friend, a plot as thick and twisted as kudzu, Rachel manages to pull you in by the shirt collar and not let you go into the last pages.
1: Oh yeah. Being
0: a Southern guy, I had to throw a little kudzu in there.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what I love about, yeah. What I love about this, Rachel is the, and, and it sounds weird to say this. Oh, mm-hmm. I love the way she writes obituaries. Cause it sounds like it's, it's, <laughs> it's an, it's an odd statement, but yeah. here's why I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such a lovely and a funny way of summing up a life's person. And I know you're doing this as a character in the book, but it also shows me your writing style in general. Right? Yeah. But it, it and it made me think, this is what I love about writers like yourself. It makes me think about things. So I step out of the book for a moment and I go, mm-hmm. what would Rachel or Coco write about me? What would what would people what would I hope that would be the last thing said about me? Yeah. And not to make it about me, but I thought that was so interesting to mirror something so poignant because this person has such a responsibility to come down to the end of your life and sum up your life in a couple of paragraphs.
1: Yeah. And for her, you know, her family, they were murdered. I know when the obituaries were written that they were kind of just the rote type of born died work. And it didn't. They they didn't capture who her people were, and so I wanted her to be someone who is a storyteller, someone who um, feels the agony of losing someone, who doesn't want their last things written about them to be this flat, cut paste type job. And so, when you tell stories, you know you get to meet people and listen to them and do some research. So this was perfect for for her. She gets to you know, honor um, those who have passed while also being incredibly nosy <laughs>
0: <laughs> to get paid to be nosy. How nice yeah. is that? Yeah. I would love to do this if you don't mind, because I, I tend to highlight things that I really like, and I won't read the whole thing, but this one paragraph is so delicious. And it's the obituary of Gwyneth Rose, Weber, who we're going to meet here uh, Aunt Gwenny, which uh, I love her boy. She's, yeah. she, I want to party with her. <laughs> But th- so they're writing the obituary here. Coco's writing ingredients for a splendid afternoon in the life of Gwyneth Rose Weber sliced Vienna sausages, dolloped with yellow mustard atop rich crackers, a dirty martini and family feud playing on the television. <laughs> we, now, all we
1: all know those women.
0: <laughs> women. Uh, that was my well, afternoon snack. It. Are you kidding? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I hearken back to my childhood And my mom loved Vienna sausages. So I remember the smell that combined with the yellow mustard, it stays with me forever. Um, She didn't drink dirty martinis, but, you know, that's totally Gwen. But, you know, you go to a grandparent's house and there are things that happen that are comforting to you. And it may be family feud. It may be the stories, you know, edge of night, uh, days of our lives, all that kind of Donahue. Yeah. Um, and it it's one of those things that you return to as a, as an adult thinking about the people that you love who have taken care of you and that summarizes Gwen. Yeah. You know? She is a she is a spitfire. She's something. Yeah. Mhm.
0: <laughs> oh man, I want a party with her. Yeah. It did remind me though. And man, I thought we were we were really doing well when mom would make and she would take the biscuits and put a big pat of butter there first and yes. then put the Vienna sausage and put the toothpick through Oh yeah! and let it bake. So it would get crispy and then dollop that mustard on top that. Oh.
1: Yeah, that was, that was living.
0: <laughs> yeah. I used to say to mom, is company coming? Cause this is fancy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I remember the, the biscuits. So I, we, my mom did the instant, Pillsbury, you pop the, the can. and
0: That's then- the one. I yes. always wanted to be the one to hit it on the corner of the, uh, the counter, right? It
1: always scared me. Even now, I like clench when I push the spoon against the seam. Yeah, It just seems like it could go out of control and poke me in the eye or something crazy. Yep. Now,
0: I, I know there's going to be some people listening going, why is he going down this path talking <laughs> about biscuits? But it's little things like this that trigger. I mean, Rachel, this was... This was 40 years ago. I'm remembering this. So something I read here just whisked me back 40 years. And I took a moment to just relive the joy, the simplicity of that. So
1: thank you. I'm glad it's it's poignant for you because for me, I always like including details that may not be incredibly important, but they fill out who this person is, um, what their fears are, what comforts them. And Vienna sausages for, you know, in that pot of water is one of those things that make me think about my mom warmly, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, the end sentence to that, uh, as we're talking about Gwen, on Sunday, March 15th, Gwen joined her favorite game show host, Richard Dawson, at the Studio in the Sky. By now, I'm sure he's kissed her cheek, called her darling, and she's glowing like she's just won a new car. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, people who are very young won't, rem- they don't know who Richard Dawson is. But for yeah. those of us who do, he, you know, it's kind of weird and creepy now. But women were very happy to get a kiss from Richard Dawson on their cheek. And it was a weird moment in time. <laughs> like Isn't that, that true?
0: Yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't go over so well now. Maybe no, uh, you either. don't see Steve Harvey walking around with a pinky ring and kissing <laughs> the gals on the <laughs>
1: no it's a different vibe right now yeah but once again it's one of those returning to um some of the good parts of growing up and you know uh that you associate with family yeah yeah
0: i want to go back backwards just one quick uh inch because there is a book on your website i don't know what it is it does there's no rhyme or reason why the cover of this book grabs me. We lie here.
1: Ah.
0: And I want to say, maybe it's because it's one of my favorite cars, mm-hmm. back Camaro. in the bought the Camaro. Yeah. And it's just the rear end of that car, and and it's look. It looks like it's getting ready to take off somewhere. So there's a couple things that went through my mind. I'm like, okay, what's this story about, and why am I so pulled in by a car?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and that book was nominated. I just want to make a point of this because yeah. it's so impressive. 2023 LA Times Book Prize in Mystery Thriller. Yeah. And it's a woman's trip home reveals frightening truths in a twisty novel of murder and family secrets, which made me start going, okay, let's look mm-hmm. at the themes that Rachel's going to go on. Here, yeah. Yeah. And now she's gone. These mm-hmm. toxic things, the Lou Norton series, you know, everybody kind of writes from a point. They yeah. they're either there's a skeleton in their closet that they're trying to mm-hmm. get rid of.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's one of your underlying thing? What, what fuels you? Um,
1: identity and belonging. You know, I'm an uh, African-American woman in Los Angeles and I've found myself several times. And so has my family in places that aren't necessarily where we uh, are supposed to be. And th- my, my daughter is now going through that. She just finished her first year in college and she is one of like the few Black people in her class and Black women. And when she first started, she felt like many of us do. we all experience imposter syndrome, but for her, it was extra extra because she went in and she was the representative of all black people uh, in in the world and just how much of a burden that can be and then you realize, oh they're not a, they're they're not as smart as I thought they were. Right. Um, I earned my place here. It's scary here. Uh, will I survive this being in this place by myself, or or will I just tap out and can't handle it? And some people tap out and can't can't handle it. Um, there are kids who have gone to where Maya is going, and they go to HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, because they didn't want to spend four years being alone in that way. And so all my books tend to deal with that because it doesn't stop. Jobs, conferences, you find yourself the only and questioning who you are, how you got there, will it be okay? So yeah, that's that tends to be the theme through most of my books is identity.
0: Well, I love that. And I admire that. And I respect it. And it reading this book allowed me to look through the eyes of a person that I uh, would love to get to know more. This Coco character is just I mean, I love the her strength and her vitality and her bravery.
1: Yeah, there's there's one part that I absolutely love, which captures it to me. It's kind of an aside. Um, there is there are a few paragraphs where she's talking about um, when her family first toured the island and her brother was eating uh, an orange, a tangerine, and he spit the seed out and the tour guide picked it up. And I've actually seen this in life, which is why I thought about this. And her explanation is, orange trees don't grow on this island. They don't belong here. And if they sprout, if they grow, They'll be taking resources from the native plants and possibly killing them so it's once again you know who gets to be on this island and why don't we want you on this island because you may be a danger to the the paradise that is catalina and yeah. that for me captures what the book is about
0: yeah i remember reading that thinking wow what a parallel yeah what a strong metaphor And why did you pick Catalina? I I was, that was another curiosity I had.
1: It's an absolutely beautiful place. Um, It's only 26 miles from Los Angeles, but that 26 miles, that's the ocean. So while it's a part of Los Angeles County, it's way over there. And I wanted Coco to be able to literally see her home from this place where she's now isolated. Um, It's it really is a beautiful place, but it's cramped now because there are a lot more people, mm-hmm. um, more vacationers and beers. and you know, it, it, people come over. It's easy to access, you know, with the ferry. So yeah, they're having some struggles in this like really, really lovely place. And then there's par- the other side of the island where. It's not there people aren't allowed to develop there. There's that's where the bison are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So have, I yeah, I want it somewhere close but far away, something um unique yet rote. Um it, it's it's it was perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a moment near the end of the book and Coco is running away from someone mm-hmm. and she's in the dark. Mm-hmm. And there is the sound of these animals and I'm imagining hoof beats and heavy breathing from the bison. And I'm, and I just trying to imagine myself being in a strange place and not being able to see my footing perhaps. Mm-hmm. And it's dark and you hear these beasts and you have no idea how many they are, how big they are, how close they are. And it sends a shiver down your spine. It was a great scene.
1: Thank you. Especially for a city girl. I mean, I remember I I grew up in apartments and I remember when we moved into our house uh, 23 years ago and just being freaked out that first week because I never grew up hearing the water heater. I never grew up hearing, you know, cats so close or weird birds chirping. It was it was too much for me. And so for me to, you know, drop me in the middle of the forest, I am going to freak the hell out. And so I wanted that for Coco. Yeah, anybody would freak out with, you know, being in the dark with bison. But imagine someone who doesn't even, like, hike. (laughs) It's it's a lot. It's it's, it's a (laughs) lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm scared enough of the dark. I want to back up something because you, you just said something and it reminded me because this, I'm going to read one more paragraph. I promise I won't do too much of this. This is chapter one, and this is when I knew I was in for a ride because the way you crafted this one paragraph. The man with the unkind eyes receives my gifts, a can of ginger ale and two packets of saltine crackers, His honey brown skin now tinted the pea green of nausea glimmers, not from the light rain now drifting from the sky and pebbling against our jackets, but from the barely there sway of this express ferry racing from Long Beach across the Pacific Ocean to Santa Cana, Lita Island. (laughs) Now that folks, if you, if you don't, if that doesn't just pull you in and tell you about 10 things that's happening simultaneously with very few words, you're not paying attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, she's, <coughs> while she's running away from things, she's also paying attention to others around her. Once again, like being the obituary writer, wanting to comfort in some ways. And, you know, that's one of the things that people do when you get on a, a boat. They give you ginger ale and some crackers to try and help them. Yeah. Even even when they're hostile toward you in some ways.
0: Two things. I've mm-hmm. experienced that. I think that's why it affected me yeah. so much. I that that rocking, waving, and, and you can't yeah. stop it. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I'll just watch the horizon. Yeah, you might not want to do that. Um, and then, and then the other the other thing I loved about her is that very same thing is you don't expect her to be so kind to strangers at every turn and so giving and so innocent. I love that about her.
1: Yeah, no. And, and also it, she represents black womanhood for me. Well, we always, we take care of people. We take care of this nation. We, even when it's not being kind to us, we still reach out because that's just who we are, you know? So she, once again, represents black womanhood just like i was talking about identity and and trying to figure out if this is a place where i can thrive
0: well thrive indeed you are um let me ask you this there's so I'm, i've rattled off a few of your other books and i was just drilling down i was because i'm always fascinated by audiobooks because i love them and i noticed that you chose to release a couple of novellas as audiobooks only i'd love to hear your thinking behind that
1: um, yeah, Audible uh, was interested in short stories that I could come up with, and initially it was a little intimidating because it's, it's it's a different kind of writing. You're you're writing directly for a listen, and there was also some freedom in that because it could only be so long. So I wanted to come up with stories that were good listens, but were punchy and self-contained. Um, that left you know, the listener kind of like <gasps> breathless, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's a fun thing. I mean, I, I had a great time writing um, how it ends and see how they run. They're both, once again, strong, strong characters in difficult situations who try and survive the best way they can. So once again, another, another outlet for, for my type of story.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, uh, just a great venue for it. And let me drill one sentence further because I would love to hear, especially for my listeners who may not fully comprehend what you just said. Mm-hmm. So you're writing less for the eye and more for the ear. And how does one do that specifically so that we could capture an, Oh, that's how Rachel does it.
1: Um, well, you have to stay out of the character's head a lot, uh, meaning, um, with, with with novels, with written novels, you can just talk and talk and talk exposition everywhere. And with an audible type story, you have to cut some of that in half because no one wants to hear a character going on and on and on about things that look good in a book, but don't move the story along. And so right. you really have to read your story aloud to see what the pacing is, to see if um, this sounds too navel-gazing type of you know that type of language. Uh, other than that, right. it was you know with that stuff and stuff in mind, it was it was pretty straightforward.
0: As I referenced earlier, and I love about this book, I when this came in the mail. And thank you for sending it. I asked myself, okay, because I'm just, I'm fascinated by book covers. I talk about it way too much, but I just love great book covers. And I'm like, what did Rachel have in mind here? So I got a two part question. Mm -hmm. First of all, does your artist do this? uh, Do you have one artist that does all your covers? Question one. Question two is, do you ever walk in and you say, uh, Sally, whatever her name would be Sally. Hey, I've had this idea. See if you can run with it or you go, Oh no, no, Sally, you're the artist. You're the pro you run with it.
1: Um, first I have been blessed with, uh, publishers who hire great illustration, um, illustrationists and the same goes with Thomas and Mercer. They have, you know, their own artists and my editor, we work together on, what would be the most compelling images for each story? Um, The cover of what never happened. These flowers um, are deadly nightshade and it's a form of deadly nightshade that only grows on Catalina Island on. Yeah. So once again, something that kills you Deadly nightshade belongs there more than Coco may, may belong there. And so, yeah, mm. it's, there's a scene where someone Coco gets to the house and there's just all these overgrown plants and yards. Her aunt hasn't been able to afford you know getting it done. And Coco wants to cut back all these wild-growing shrubs. And the guy tells her, you know, don't take that out. That belongs here, that night, deadly nightshade. It belongs here in you should leave it alone. And you know, cause here she is, this invasive species <laughs> coming onto the island wanting to get rid of the thing that is native to that island. So once again, that belongs there more than cocoa in some ways. That that lives there, that was originated there, Deadly Nightshade. So yeah, my my, my age my editor and I talked so much that we landed on this image.
0: Rachel, why do I feel so ignorant right now? Because now knowing how the story ends Uh and certain things about this, I'm like, how did I not put that two and two together before? Mm -hmm. So I feel I'm I'm admitting my embarrassment to you, but.
1: But I love that, you know, because I, I, with my stories, I tend to put things there that people don't initially get And until you mention it, it's like, Oh my gosh, that meant something. And you know, they're not sometimes the easiest read. I don't think life is an easy read. And so I'm, I'm fat. I, I want to write stories that really reflect how we live and how we think and how we discover things that we may not have known. You know, on first glance,
0: I use this phrase a lot mission accomplished because there, when you can cause me to not only think about, oh, what is that plant or recall of, you know. Pigs in a blanket—I think we used Mm -hmm. to call it
1: actually—and
0: you know when you can when you can elicit that visceral response and you can ignite that old memory or you can ignite something in my heart and make me aware of something that I hadn't stepped outside of myself to think about or recognize or honor before. That's when the author has really accomplished something for me, and I so I want to. I Thank want to you. honor you. Yeah.
1: That means so much to me because that's what I'm going for. I want it to be more than just, you know, a, a thriller or, or whatever. I want it to speak to every reader in some way that, that picks it up because yeah, as different as we all are, there are some things that bind us together. And, you know, sometimes that's Vienna sausages with, with yellow mustard, you know, <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is bringing up so many great things from childhood. I mean, I'm a PK preacher's kid, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Folks, you see that reaction? I get mm-hmm. that my whole life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You could either go one or another way. And uh, yeah.
0: Whichever way you're thinking, <laughs> that's probably the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she <laughs> says you that
1: wouldn't read, you wouldn't be reading this book if you'd gone the other way.
0: Right. <laughs> Uh, I'm waiting for the phrase, bless your heart. Uh, that would be next. Yeah.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, why did I bring that up? It, because, um, and it's going to, I'm going to circle back to that thing that I said to you is that, you know, I read a lot of books. There are a lot of thrillers out there and I'm not poo-pooing any gradation of that. But sometimes, sometimes you want to just leap into a book and go, mm-hmm. go fast, go yeah. hard, kill people, move on. Yes. But, but here it's when you can, again, when you can take me out and re- relive something that inspired me or moved me or challenged me, phew, you have just yeah. done it. Thank you. Oh, I forgot I had done this. I always, p- I put notes in the back of my books to remind mm-hmm. me of why I really love this book. For some reason, some of my favorite writing was the obituaries, and it made me realize how utterly boring real-life obituaries can be. The second is, I love seeing the world through Coco's eyes. It provided insights and understanding that I couldn't or wouldn't otherwise appreciate quite the same.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 that makes me happy. Because, yeah, I, there, yeah, there are moments when you want fast, hard, um, blow things up. <laughs> and that's fine. I love that stuff. But for me, it's hard for me to to write that because I don't, that stuff doesn't scare me. It's the quiet snail in a garden type things that just creep me out and stay with me. You know, fireworks in my neighborhood, I'm not alarmed by them. But when I first moved in, it was the weird water heater knocking or the floors creaking that it's like, what is that? And is it going to kill me? Yeah. That scares me more than, you know, hearing a gun- gunshot because it's over. It's quick. It does that one visceral punch. And then it leaves you because, you know, fear, your heart beats the same as when it's scared as when it's happy. It's the same thing. But what is it going to do to your mind? What what things can happen to you that just linger and you're part of the problem, but you don't know how you're part of the problem and the people you love are part of the problem and the environment is, you know, that stuff, that stuff makes me um,
0: excited. Yeah, and the things you can't control often are the yes, scary.
1: Yes, 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 yeah. And for a control freak, that scares me the most. Well, I've checked the boxes. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Why isn't this working? Why am I still scared? Why am I agitated? Yeah. No, it's, and she's, she's like that. She's had to be, you know, she's grown up basically by herself in many ways with, with Gwen popping in and out of her life and, you know, obituaries can only be so long. Once again, you know, she can control what she says, how she says it while still being kind and thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The synopsis of a life in a few paragraphs is uh is quite a gift. And and again, I, I, I spent uh some quite some time thinking about that. Because we often do that. You know, you, you have people show up for your eulogy and they say mm-hmm. these nice things, and you always I always wonder, were they saying those things when I was still here? And is the impact that I had while I'm not it, it, no longer here the same as I had when I was here, mm-hmm. if that makes any yeah. sense.
1: Yeah. 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 What is your absence causing? There you, know, you go. How are people moving on without you, but with you still? Um, and so, yeah, her, her, she wants to do more than you've heard this. She lit up a room when she came in. No yeah. one was a stranger. She give you the shirt off your back. It's such a trope and cliche right now. It's meaningless. But saying she always saved the last soda for me because, you know, she wanted to drink with, you know, something that is truly, truly about that person um, that makes them remarkable. Even the worst person has something remarkable about them.
0: And isn't it funny when you read or hear a cliche, how your brain will check out yet when you say the same, if you want to get across the same point in yet a more poignant way, like you just said, she always saved the last soda for me. You perk up because you hadn't heard it that way before and it impacts you differently.
1: Yep. And while the quick, easy thing would be to say, she lit up a room. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Not with my books. I want to say, yeah, she she, she baked cookies um, on the third day of every month because that's when I stopped dieting, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah. something that is uniquely who that person is that's what makes me happy. Well and that's how I want to be remembered, you know. Yes. Not necessarily she got up at 4:30 every morning to write, but I don't know. She she enjoyed playing Diablo 4 with her husband on the couch every every night. You know, something that you people wouldn't know if someone didn't tell them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that. All right. As we wrap, I always ask my guests their best piece of writing advice, and I know you've got a doozy, so I'm going to let you take a second and think about it. But everybody, you know, it can be for first-time listeners, uh, first-time writers, people who are really trying to hone their craft, but they're always looking to leaders like yourself. They go, oh, what, what piece of writing advice can Rachel Hall leave with me that I can be a better writer?
1: Well, and it's part of what we're talking about with obituaries, pay attention to people, not necessarily how they look, not things that are Googleable about them, but those those qualities that make them special and who they are, because we read books primarily for the characters and how the characters are are gonna react through all these things you're putting through them. But how I react is different from how you react So tell me what those differences are. Pay attention to um, body cues and how they eat, how they nibble or gulp. My husband, every at dinner, he he's a gobbler and he burps every like within the first minute of every meal. And that's who he is. That's that's something no one else would know. But now you do because I, I shared that with you and it's an endearing thing. It wouldn't be dinner if David didn't do that. You know, so <laughs> I would say to I would plead with 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 new writers, especially make your people special. We don't want um, folks who could be in any novel, make them um, truly unique and, and give them meaningful things to do and to fear.
0: That is one of my favorite things I've heard yet, because you're 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 finding a signature that is only theirs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more, go to rachelhousel.com. Love the cover photo again. That just you're going to see that and you're going to go, what is she up to? And you can also follow her on Twitter as I do at rachelhowzell. This has been absolutely delightful. Thank you for carving out time.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. This is a great conversation. I, I, I'm, I'm even more excited to, to share the book now.
0: Yes. And I had hoped to be able to sit down face-to-face, but because of scheduling conflicts, we yeah. couldn't do it. But I'll tell you what, uh, I'm going to try my darndest. Because you're just up the road. You're like 90 minutes away.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so next
0: time, I'm going to plan earlier. And, uh, yes,
1: and I can plan earlier.
0: And we'll sit down face to face because I think we'd have just even more of a hoot and a half. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think so.
0: Thank you again.
1: Yes. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks again to Rachel. And once again, the book is What Never Happened. A terrific read. Join us next week when this gentleman joins us, Bruce Borgos. Now, I tried to read this to myself a couple of times. Craig Johnson has a blurb here on the front of the book. A crisp jolt of cask-strength, 100-proof writing. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Try to read it real fast, three times in a row. Good luck. Anyway, The Bitter Pass. Bruce is going to be with us next. I'm David Temple, your host. We'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. Your front row seat to the best thrillers. The Thriller Zone. Like Mama and Popo?